Hello, and welcome to Godcast, where we cast the light of God into a dark world. I'm Amy Myers, and I'm sharing words and discoveries of God that he shows to me as a way to bring light into your life and any darkness that you may be experiencing. Last time, we talked a little bit about abiding with Jesus and sitting with him and spending time with him. And part of that, I mentioned that I would go into greater detail about vineyards. And I wanted to do that for you today. And it all began when I had this image that God put in front of me that I wanted to explore with him. And he showed me lots of interesting information about vineyards as he has described them throughout all of the biblical history. So first, just as a reminder, sometimes God will give us images and this can spark a conversation. It can spark an opportunity to talk with God and to get a new perspective and a way to look at things a little bit differently. This image was brief, but I'm going to go into a lot of details to help you get a sense of what I was seeing and experiencing. And this is just simply to get a deeper understanding of God's heart. And in images are ways that he just helps us to get an easier way to understand some things. So this image was a fog. There was a not a dense, dense fog, but a fog that was hovering over a wall, maybe four or five feet tall, and it's lingering over the wall and also onto just part of this gate that's attached to the wall. It's a black iron decorative gate, so it's a little bit open with details within it, so I couldn't see the details at first, and the setting has a diminishing evening light, so it's stepping into the darkness, but it's not quite there, but it's definitely nearing the end of the day, and where I'm standing the viewpoint I'm looking at this gate and this wall is from inside of the wall. And I'm about 10 to 15 feet away from this wall and the gate. And I can only see a little bit of the portion. The rest of the what's inside the wall I don't really see. But I also begin to see this tall green grass, maybe a foot or so tall, just really green. It's just green grass. There aren't weeds or anything, just green grass that has begun to grow inside the wall on the ground and then also the area by the gate, um, and then continuing out into the distance. And what I'm recognizing about this image, immediately there's this sense that it's been left unattended, or a sense of being forgotten about. And there was also a sense that the people who once came to this area, that they don't come here anymore, and they had just forgotten about it, and they spend their time somewhere else. And then it wasn't ravaged or destroyed. It was just simply forgotten and vacant. And again, it didn't have a bunch of weeds. It was just this grass growing. And then suddenly there was a gentle breeze that slightly presses the gate and it moves it ever so slightly. It was almost hard to see. And it did it a little bit. The gate wasn't all the way closed and it opened it a little bit and there was a little creak. It was like a sound signaling that it had been forgotten or neglected. It wasn't worn out. It was just left unattended. It was as if it was beckoning for its caretakers to come back to it or to be noticed. But it wasn't so strong that it would push on somebody. So you had to hear it and listen for it. So this image was revealing that all at once something had happened to this place, but it's no longer a part of the lives of the people who maybe once were there. There was no desire for this place. They weren't aware of it. The caretakers had left and people barely even knew 
it was there. So then I was able to look more closely at the gate itself and the details became more visible. Um, I recognized them more, but this was this intricate swirling lines of iron were actually images of vines. I could see the leaves and the grapes and it was indicating the gate was indicating that it was a vineyard because it had the vines on it. So we can connect this sense of forgottenness with a place of a vineyard. That's where our image starts today. And our gentle sound is just a reminder that we can take a look at this. So there's three items I'd want you to look at immediately from this image. First, something has been forgotten. Two, God is gently drawing our attention to it, not in a strong way, but in a subtle way. And three, when we do pay attention, we can see what has been forgotten. See, God showed me, and I'll unpack this here now too, but the image is about God and his rest and how so many people don't even know this place exists anymore. Even the ones who are given the task to watch over this restful place are no longer guiding people to it. So the main aspects of a place is forgotten and the main images include the gate and the vineyard. And many of you might recognize this imagery right away as being biblical, but there are also, there are also terms that people use today and images people use today and in history. So I wanna take us through some of scripture to see how I came to this understanding about that it is about God and what he's drawing his attention to because the image allows us to point to those main topics. So when there's an image from God, it's always helpful to be, go to scripture to see where he is doing it. And since he showed me first the wall and the gate, generally, I'm going to go down that path first to follow and honor that order that he showed this to me. And so we're going to go in and find a, a deeper perspective of understanding what is he showing us and why have these things been forgotten and why is he drawing our attention to it? And what can we see once we get there? And God is always so kind at guiding us back to a place where we can just experience his goodness, his love, his light, and his peace. And this image had a lot of peace. It was just a forgotten peace. So let's get started. As I said, we're looking at the gates first. And gates are actually described over 400 times in the Bible. And it's used with a wide range. And sometimes it's just simply a boundary or a location. It can also identify the purpose of the gate. Uh, it's also, it can be symbolic. For instance, kings also use them as well. And he, they can sometimes label it. Um, there's one gate in Herod's temple that was named after the person who made the gate itself. And then other times it just simply is the gates identifying a courtyard. But in the scripture, in the Bible, God just simply identifies it most frequently as the north gate, the south gate, the east gate, the west gate. So it's just showing you an identifier from which you're entering in. But what we learn from these different components of where we see it, we see that gates, they mark something, but they also do something. So gates manage the access that individuals have. So either you have an authority who is governing, governing who enters it in or doesn't enter, 
So they decide who has access, so that does something, but also marks something. For instance, in this story I described a couple episodes previously about Peter's prison escape, he had followed an angel out of the prison. He passed multiple guards in the city, and an angel of God caused him to be able to leave miraculously, and they headed toward the city gate. This is in Acts 12, and we hear about all the peers experiencing as the angel is guiding him toward the city gate, but then the gate suddenly opens all on its own. So in that story, the gate itself is a, an actual gate, a literal gate. The gates can also be symbols of something. Jesus does this quite frequently. He describes to the disciples, he's talking to them about the signs of the end of the age. And he tells them, when you see all of these things, which are items that he had just previously listed, you know that God is near at the very gates. This is in Matthew 24. Again, the gates are marking something and they're doing something. But in Jesus's account, the gates are symbolic of what is to come. So they're still marking a time period and something is going to happen at that time period. So again, marking something and doing something. Sometimes God could even connect these symbols together with something that's very tangible. For instance, in John chapter 10, Jesus describes a gate, but he also describes it as a door and he relates it to sheep. And this is the one that people will probably quote most frequently. But Jesus is saying that he's both a door and a shepherd. And I don't want to confuse you too much about all these gates, but I just want to read a little bit of how Jesus describes this movement in and out of a gate or a door. He says, he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens the door. Then he goes on to say, I am the door of the sheep. And then in verse 12, 10, he says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. So there's movement through these gates. There's a gatekeeper, there's movement, <clears throat> there's a door or a gate. And in Jesus' situation, he's saying that he is the gate and the shepherd. So he's the one that marks the entrance of the gate as well as what's happening inside of the gate. And we can enter into this place of rest inside the gate through him, but we also find rest with him. And one last point of description that I want you to take notice of. I did emphasize here that there's a gatekeeper who opens the gate, which is going to tie us back to our gate that was left unattended in the image. And we'll get back to that as well. See, there's supposed to be someone who's watching over this pasture or watching over the image, which in our case is the vineyard. So a quick summary of how we can view the gate in the image that God showed us. The gate marks and reveals something about God. And so far we see that Jesus is both the, both the way through the gate and he is the way to get through the gate, but he's also the place of rescue and rest inside of the gate. So let's turn now to what's inside this gate. Again, we know from the image that it's a vineyard because of the decorative iron gate that God took me closer in to see that it had vines and it was a vineyard decoration versus something like a palace or another marker or identifying somebody's home. The gates were specific in how they were describing it.
Let's look now at how God describes vineyards in the Old Testament before we go back to the New Testament. There are two significant passages, and one is in 1 Kings and another in Isaiah. Then I'll bring us back to the New Testament. In the historical books of the Bible, there was a man named Naboth, and he was, um, he was an Israelite, and he owned a vineyard in northern Israel, in Jezreel, near King Ahab. And King Ahab wanted to buy the property so that he could turn it into a vegetable garden. The problem was that if Naboth gave up his land, it also meant he would let go of his ancestry. And he says exactly that. He says, Lord forbid that I should give up my ancestral heritage. So the king was very distraught about this, and his wife, Jezebel, she plots to get the land. And she doesn't do this in a kind, wonderful way. She counterfeits the king's signature, then orchestrates false witnesses to lie against Naboth and steal the land from him. And upon her success of counterfeiting the king and lying about Naboth, Naboth is killed, and Jezebel boasts that the land can now be for the king's garden. It's also interesting that this city takes place and the city that's identified as Jezreel, which means God will sow in Hebrew. So God is saying that he sows into the land as a heritage and it connects him. And he specifically ties it to a vineyard back in 1 Kings. Let's look at one more look at a vineyard and how God connects it to his heritage and his people. And that's why we want to draw those two things together. So they're places of significance. And as I said, they mark the heritage of God. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 5, God describes his people as his own vineyard, that God even cultivated himself with care and attention. And it's described this way. And Isaiah is praising God for how he does this. He says, I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard, meaning God's vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a wine press for all. Notice that God creates a picture of his active role He's digging, he's preparing the land. He gave it the best starter vines and a watchtower as a high place to guard and to monitor anybody from coming to try to do damage. But he also has a wine press to develop the wine from the fruit of the vines. So God is active and he's creating a picture for people through the prophet Isaiah to say that God's vineyard indicates God's people. Jesus connects these two Old Testament concepts of God caring a lot about a vineyard. Jesus spoke about vineyards. I'm going to speak to you about two particular parables, and Jesus does it back to back. Oftentimes, he'll tell a parable, and it means it has a glimpse of something, and then he'll tell it in another way, which seems like a totally different parable, but they're similar concepts that he's coming at from a different angle. So this one is about a vineyard, um, a man who had a vineyard, and he had two sons. This is in Matthew 21. One of the sons chooses not to help, and then another son says that he will help, but never shows up. The first son changes his mind and then eventually does come to help. So as the parable goes along, though, Jesus makes a specific point that even though these sons had difficulty committing, and some didn't commit at all, and some didn't even believe, he notes that those in society who are looked down upon, such as the tax collectors and the prostitutes, they believed in him quickly. 
and he connects the vine and the vineyard rather to working and believing in Jesus. But he doesn't end this conversation about choosing to care for the vineyard. He's saying that those that society looks down upon actually cared for the vineyard, whereas those who were supposed to did not. So let's link this up with the next parable he says also in Matthew 21. He says there was a master of a house who planted a vineyard and put a, fa a fence around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower, a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. So what's interesting is that, again, Jesus is making a very specific description and connection to a vineyard, a fence put around it, dug a wine press, built a tower. These are specific ways that vineyards were built, but he's also making a connection to Old Testament stories that people listening would remember. But what happens is that when it was time for the harvest, the tenants didn't want to share the harvest, so they beat and killed and stoned the owner's servants multiple times. The first time, the second time, they killed the servants. And then the final time, they killed the owner's son. And they did this because they thought if they could kill the heir, they would steal the inheritance. So we also learn from the passage that the religious leaders listening to these two parables knew that Jesus was talking about them. So this is why we can connect this a little bit more intricately with the vineyard representing the people of God, because God, Jesus was warning the people who were supposed to watch over the vineyard were causing harm. In a similar way, Jesus is saying the people then were not looking over the people of God, but he's specifically calling the people of God a vineyard. And that's how we can connect those two things today, because it connects the Hebrew scripture of the Old Testament with the New Testament scripture. And he's showing us that they need to be willing to care for the vineyard. And we recall that the two sons designated to care for the vineyard, they decided they didn't want to, or they didn't believe that it even needed care. And this reveals so much, so much to us because those who are supposed to be in charge of it were seeking selfish gain. God describes that this will happen in Jeremiah 12. He says that many shepherds will ruin my vineyard and trample down my field, and they will turn my pleasant field into a desolate wasteland. It will be made a wasteland, parched and desolate before me. The whole land will be laid waste because there's no one who cares. See, Jesus usually points to the heart of what people are doing. And this draws us back to another part that goes to the heart of why the vineyard matters. And Jesus is going to connect himself to the heart of it. So here, this is where Jesus declares, and he declares himself that he is the true vine and that the Father is the vine dresser. In John 15, he goes on to describe this beautifully. He says that, and I spoke about this previously about abiding in me. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you, Jesus says. Abide in me and I abide in you. See, this vineyard is a place of rest. Not only is it a place for God's people, but it is a place of rest. It is a place to be nourished. It is a place to find Jesus. It's a place where the branches are nourished. They, they are fresh with blossoms and fruit and joy. Jesus just says, he describes, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. 
See, this safe place inside the protective walls and the guarded gates is where Jesus says he spends time with us. So inside these vineyard gates should be a place of rest for the people of God and a place for nourishment for the people of God. See, we know this because of the word choice in abide, and I mentioned abide last the last episode, so if you could go back and listen to that, that would be great. But the Greek word that is used here is called meno. It means to stay. It means stay in a given place or relation to something, an expectancy, dwelling, remaining. Jesus uses this word because he's describing our relationship with him is being like the need for the vineyard branches to stay connected, attached, attached to him, obtaining all that is needed to survive and grow and blossom and generate fruit. See, we're designed to do that. And what he's showing us in this passage when we link our gates and our walls and our vineyards is that inside the walls are where the people of God are supposed to be. We individually connect to him, but we also collectively connect to him. Sometimes people will say, oh, you need to have a relationship with Jesus. And while this is what Jesus is saying here, sometimes that language leaves us all feeling, wondering what that really means. And sometimes it's hard for people to know what that means. But this definition gives us a little bit of an idea of what it means to be present with him or be connected with him. He gives us two aspects of abiding or resting in him. He says, if you abide in me, and my words abide in you, whatever you ask, it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, and that you may bear much fruit and show yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. See, his words are found in the scripture, and we can spend time reading those words and asking God to let us understand and feel his love through those words. God also encourages us to rest in his love. We can do this by quieting our hearts and minds and just allowing ourselves to be present and wait for that spiritual aspect of faith. The Bible is true and active, but unless you're giving your heart over to wanting God to show you what it means from his perspective, you may find it to be lacking. So you have to connect with God because God is a spiritual being and he makes his goodness and peace known to us when we praise him or we offer our mind and our body and our spirit to authentically desire spending time with him. We have to be with him. We, we want him to know that we actually want to spend time with him. And that's what this is. And Jesus is giving us a glimpse also about why we can spend time with him. He says that these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So we can find the rest and the security inside this symbolic vineyard, and we can find deep joy connecting to God there, connecting to the vine, the true vine. One last thing I want to note about that, though. See, Jesus said he is the true vine, which gives us a little bit of an alert to say, okay, what is not a true vine? See, the true vine is Jesus, and the true vineyard is of God. It is a place to spend time with God for rest and connectedness. If we're trying to spend all of our time somewhere else, we're not being nourished. We're not being refreshed. And in the image God showed me, there was a forgotten aspect to the vineyard. People no longer knew they could come to this place of rest 
and strength and renewal. See, God says he wants us to have a life that is abundant and has a fullness of joy in the place where God can love them as they're meant to be loved with his goodness and his patience and his peace and his kindness and his gentleness. And this strengthens us, it heals us and restores us and brings a vibrancy that no other short-term things can bring. So for those of you who didn't know about this place of rest and peace, I share your sadness. And I'm sorry for those who were given the task of watching over God's people and guiding them to this place of safety and rest because they didn't attend to the vineyard. They didn't attend to the people of God or the place where we are to meet God. See, this place is meant to be treasured and sought after because we're meant to spend time with him. The vineyard of the image felt empty. And God showed me it's because so many people don't know what it's like to truly be with him or experiencing him. These vineyards should be personal places of connecting with God, but also a togetherness place where the people of God connect together to God. It's both of these places. We can talk about Jesus and people can talk about Jesus, but unless we learn to abide in his love, sit in his love, experience his love, we won't actually understand what his love is all about. So that's what this image helped me understand today. And as I mentioned before, some of the main things that God brought to my, to the forefront of all of this is that something had been forgotten and God was gently drawing attention to it and that we can pay attention to see what was forgotten. And then he went on to show us what had been forgotten. He, what had been forgotten is that we need to pay attention to the vineyard. We need to be inside the protective gates where we can find God's people, God's pasture, God's presence, God's goodness, God's love. That's where we're supposed to be nourished. And we're supposed to be able to go in and out of these places, but to be nourished there. So today I hope you walk away with these few insights. First, God alerts us that many don't know what it's like to be in this place of rest and abiding with God. And two, I hope you take this image as hopeful because God's inviting us to the place of his rest and safety and nourishment to connect and blossom and thrive with him. And finally, I hope we can accept God's invitation to spend time with him today, to take us beyond the hustle and bustle of going to church or doing activities. Instead, I hope it can be a moment to authentically ask God and say to God, God, I want to know more about abiding with you and connecting with you personally. We can intentionally spend time with God because it can change us and fill us. And when we're there with him, he fills us to overflowing with his goodness, his love, joy, and peace. That is what God desires for you. And I pray that you will accept his invitation to spend time pursuing and savoring him today. And if anything, I hope that the image I've presented that he showed to me can set in your mind and you can say, God, let me see inside your vineyard. Let me see inside of what you have in store for me today. Many blessings to you. Thank you for joining me at Godcast, where we cast the light of God into a dark world. And I pray and hope that you could be touched by God in a new and meaningful way where you can treasure him, sit with him, and abide in him today. 